I've got something that would have been good if it was about 97 miles further south. And I've got trouser-related capital punishment. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Dang sights! Hello there, welcome to Date Fight. Hello. It's the 9th of January and this is the podcast where we take great moments from history and we pitch them against each other. He's Jake, yeah, I'm Nat Tapley and together we have assembled an entire aquarium of historical lobsters which we will pluck out and boil for your entertainment. Love that scream. <laughs> it's the air escaping from their shells, Jake. They love it. I know. They I love it. They do. There's nothing they, they enjoy more it. than being boiled. Actually, they do. that's the noise of them enjoying themselves. <laughs> That's, that's the sound I make when I'm enjoying myself. Round <laughs> <laughs> one! I usually do the depressing one mm, last. Now I'm going to do it first today. I'm going to take you to... It's not really depressing, it's just my sensible one. I'm going to take you to the 9th of January, 1799, oh. when Pitt the Younger introduced a new tax to pay for the war on France. Not just a new tax, it's a whole new kind of tax. Let's not tax things, he said. Let's tax income. income. Yes. And the two old pence in the pound, about one one hundred and twentieth of a pound on incomes over sixty pounds, which is currently worth between six and seven thousand pounds. Um, it was to pay for the war in France um, and was cancelled in 1802 when the war ended. But then when they started fighting again in 1803, they started up again, but got rid of it in 1816, I think, when the war ended. Um, after which there wasn't any income tax until, in 1841, Robert Peel Robert stood against income tax and became Prime Minister on the basis of not having an income tax until his Income Tax Act of 1842, <laughs> which imposed the same tax on any income over £150. Proving that we have not learned about election pledges in 150 <laughs> we years. We really haven't. My 1841 pledge to not impose income tax couldn't be helped in my Income Tax Act <laughs> of 1842. After that, it's been pretty much constant. Some people thought Gladstone might get rid of it, but he kept it to pay for the Crimean War. Essentially, if you want to pay for a war, it's a very good way of paying for wars. America didn't have an income tax till it had to pay for the Civil War. And like most things that happen during wars, we go, this is just while we're having a war. It'll all get better after the war, and then we keep on doing it. Basically, every every sort of advance in innovation comes out of wars or pornography. <laughs> yes, that's entirely... Often at the same time. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who could forget that income tax to fund a massive porn drive in 1852? Uh, after the first one in 1816, they they brought all the records out and burned them publicly as a statement that we are not continuing it, we, we won't keep any of the records of people's income. Here we go. And they burnt them out in the street in front of the exchequer. Um, but they secretly kept copies of them all in the basements. They knew what everyone earned, really. No. Anyway, income tax pays for lots of important things like uh, nurses, schools, hospitals, policemen. Um, traffic crossings and wars. Don't forget wars. Gorgeous. We might get more income tax any minute now. So yeah. hold on to your income tax hats. That's uh, that's jolly. That's uh, very very January. It is very January well for lots of people. For those of you filling in yeah. your tax returns this month, we salute you. Whilst yes, for those of you thinking, how do I? Is that's quite a quite an imminent deadline. Yeah. Uh, we salute you. We feel you. Yeah. We are you. Yes, we uh, I'm going to go much. back. <laughs> <laughs> haven't started to the ninth, yet. Uh, the ninth of January. They just add interest, and then they send bailiffs round. Yeah, and it's your parents' house, and it's the worst day oh, no. ever.
I mean, notionally. Yeah, uh, notionally. Anyway. Mm. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, a sudden flashback. Happy tax day. Uh, but then he does pay for... You yeah, know, precisely. Once it's right. done, it feel, you feel very virtuous and forget about it for a year. Yes. And the next year, oh, no, it's happening again. How is this happening every yeah. year? <laughs> How did I learn nothing from every other year? Uh, because you're desperate. Yes. There you are. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope that makes you feel better. <laughs> 9th of January, 1909. Ooh, yeah. And Ernest Shackleton, mm. one of the greats, uh, leading the Nimrod expedition to the South Pole, yeah. plants the British flag Very good. at the South Pole. Okay, 97 mm-hmm. nautical miles north. Of yeah. The, like 112 <laughs> miles north of the South Pole. But it was the furthest south anyone had gone at that time, okay? Okay, then. Yes. So five days earlier, Shackleton had had to accept that they weren't they weren't going to get to the pole. No. That wasn't going to happen. And so he had to revise his goal to being like, well, we got within 100 geographical miles of it. <laughs> well, then. That's like when Kennedy said, in 10 years' time, we will get somewhere close to the moon. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, we shall conquer Everest or thereabout because it's there-ish. It's there somewhere. It was the 9th of January and they they basically, they got to a point where they were like, we just have to get within 100 miles now. So they dumped all their stuff, like their sledges and everything. They just dropped it and just physically just walked yeah. the extra bit to try and get within 100 miles. Uh, we have shot our bolt, wrote Shackleton. <laughs> In, I suspect, a very unsteady hand. And the tail is 88 degrees, 23 minutes, 5 seconds. Uh, they were... Is that the one where they crashed on the way home as well? No. OK. No, I th- I think that was a, a different expedition. There's one where Shackleton ends up... I think he's stranded somewhere near the Falklands, just has to hang out and well, walk across. That was an incredible story. And, and the hero of that was a guy called Crean, right. who was the ship's carpenter. And what, what happened was that the ship in, in that... Mm. Uh, expedition, uh, the ship got surrounded by ice and it crushed yeah. and it, it uh, sank and all the men were stranded on the ice. This guy, Crean, who's this Irish guy, he there was a lifeboat and he took bits of wood from the busted up ship and he sort of reinforced this little lifeboat and built up the sides of it mm-hmm. and he and a few men with Shackleton went off on a rescue mission to try and fetch help to go oh, and yes, get the yeah. stranded men. And they had to navigate by the stars. And it was this... And it you talk about moonshot. It, they... They, it was something like 100 miles to the nearest civilization. And we know he's very good at getting within 100 miles of things. Right. Well, he was, and he, he actually <laughs> nailed that one. And that was the one, really, if you're going to nail one, that was the one. Yeah, uh, get that one right. They got yeah. to this island by dead reckoning, and... They got there and there was this massive cliff and they had to scale this cliff and they were all exhausted and starving. Uh, This band of, I can't remember, sort of four or five men. And Mm. uh, they had to keep walking and they were exhausted. They said, let us sleep, let us sleep. And Shackleton was like, if I let you sleep, you're just going to die. So he would say, "Okay, you guys have a sleep. I'll keep watch. And he would let them sleep for five minutes. And then he'd wake them up and say, right, you've had a couple of hours. Off we go. And they believed it. (laughs) No, man, he kept them going and they got, they found this whaling station and from there they managed to get help and they went and retrieved uh, the crew. And the thing about Shackleton was that even though a lot of his expeditions didn't exactly nail (laughs) 
<laughs> the brief. <laughs> the destination. He never lost a man, and he was very yeah. uh, rightly proud of that. And and in this story... Yeah, unlike Scott, who lost all of his men. Right, exactly. Apart from absolutely Jerry Gerard. Yeah, so... Who just spent the rest of his life miserable. Well, exactly. I mean, this story is amazing. So they, they were they were returning. So 9th of January, they get as far south as they're going to get. They turn around, and they are walking back, and they've got almost no food left. And there's this one guy, a guy called Wild, and he gets dysentery because why not? Um, because they've eaten some poisoned, I think it yeah. was poisoned penguin meat. Eaten too much penguin. No, it was pony meat. I'm so sorry. What's it? It's gorgeous. <laughs> Did, they took ponies as well. People don't need to stop taking ponies. Yeah, ponies. To yeah, stop doing the pony business. You always have to eat them. Yeah, you have to shoot them and or eat them. So they they've. They had, like, three biscuits, uh, these men, and mm-hmm. uh, Shackleton gave the guy wild his biscuit. And it was genuinely a heroic thing to do. Uh, wild wrote, By God, I shall never forget, thousands of pounds would not have bought that one biscuit. Hmm. Uh, thousands of pounds, of course, in those days is literally hundreds of pounds today. <laughs> so they managed to get back, and they made it. And on the 23rd, they got to a depot, which uh, Ernest Joyce had resupplied for them. And they had mad stuff to eat. They had plums, eggs, cakes, plum pudding, gingerbread and crystallized fruit. Mm-hmm. And they had, a, they had a good time noshing all of that <laughs> off. Uh, but yes, there it was. So Shackleton, I, I like him very much. He was, he was a wildly enthusiastic yeah. guy. And he always kind of ultimately did the right thing within the parameters of heroic stupidity <laughs> that all of those polar explorers had. Happy birthday to Richard Halliburton. He was the first celebrity travel writer. In the time between the world wars, he swam the Panama Canal uh, Retraced Cortez's conquest of Mexico, uh, relived the life of Robinson Crusoe, flew around the world in a biplane, and tried to cross the Pacific Ocean in a Chinese junk. Unfortunately, <laughs> now, now. I'm all about the Chinese junk. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't manage the last one, so was lost at sea. But he was he was hugely famous. Um, wrote loads of books about his adventures and just kept on thinking, what's the next mad thing I can do? There we go. I'll have a go at that. That's Richard Halliburton, who was born on the 9th of January. He sounds amazing. I, I want to know more about yeah, him. Yeah, he's great fun. Um, there's lots of good... So, when he went to live as Robinson Crusoe, he only took, I think it was a goat skin cloth and a knife to go and live on an uninhabited island with to see if he could survive. Wow. I'm seeing I'm seeing a format. Are you? I'm seeing a format. Yeah. <laughs> Let's work this up. Fact, Channel 4. Yeah. Halliburton Island. <laughs> I'm not Caroline Flack. <laughs> Welcome to... No, I'm not going to touch that with a barge ball. Okay. Um, <laughs> happy birthday to Susanna York. And I was going to do one of my rather snide... Oh, she was in lots of good films like yeah, they, short, they Shoot Horses, don't they? And also was hospital manager in two episodes of Casualty in 2004. But until I thought that actually... 
She had a great career. She was nominated for an Oscar at one point. And yes, the end of her career did not have the highlights of the earlier part of her career, but at least she had a career. And I'm sitting here putting together this yes, for you. Yes, we're all so, working for free. Yeah. Susanna York, she was great. Happy birthday too to Imelda Staunton, who is genuinely brilliant and managed to shine even as Mrs. Lovett, even next to Michael Ball's Sweeney Todd, <laughs> which was appropriately enough in a musical about butchery. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Really, don't listen to it. If you haven't heard the soundtrack, just don't. i got to hear it. i got to hear it. No, listen to the Johnny Depp one instead, which is surprisingly not bad. Oh, hang on there. Well, now, steady now. What? For you, Nat, ball or bow? Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, what a choice. That's quite the... Uh... Happy death day to Adrian of Canterbury. He was the abbot of St. Peter and Paul's in Canterbury. He was twice offered the Archbishop Brick of Canterbury and twice turned it down. Born in 637 AD, died in 710, lived in Canterbury for 40 years. Um, he was also um, a Berber native of North Africa. So every, next time you hear someone complaining, oh, I see they've gone and put coloured people in the old programme again. It was meant to be the 13th century. They weren't, they didn't exist back then. You can say, yes, there were. There were loads. Adrian of Canterbury was one. Wow. Also, happy death day to John Harvey Jones, the chairman of ICI from 1982 to 1987, who then became BBC 2's troubleshooter. Yes. <laughs> I remember him very kissable. Yes. He was also the best-known British advocate of transcendental meditation. Gravy. But he looked like that thing out of that thing that was that legal thing. Yes, he did. He looked like Rumpole. Yes. Do you mean, is that what you mean? Yes! Yeah, <laughs> but he wasn't. It wasn't Rumpole. Leo McKern, Leo McKern. Okay. I'm going to stop thinking now. Well, there was the follow up. There was the sequel, wasn't there, which was Rumpole Stiltskine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a dad and I'm tired. Come on. Uh, also, happy death day to Edward North Buxton, the Liberal MP and keen alpine climber who bought Hatfield Forest to stop it being developed by evil developers and gave it to the National Trust oh. to stop people felling timber in its, in its ancient oaks. Um, his family kept it on and yes it ended up not being felled I think they were due to start felling it the next day the day before he bought it but he saved it and gave it to the National Trust and said now oh, you can't have those ancient oaks so there good for him yeah good on Edmund Edward North Buxton he climbed Alps and saved forests round two ninth of January mm-hmm. 1816 ooh a guy by the name of Sir Humphrey Davy... Oh, yes. ...tests his safety lamp mm. for miners at Hebben Colliery. Must have been quite a heart-in-mouth day for him. Yeah. So I didn't know how these things worked. I'm sure you've heard about the Davy lamp, the yes. safety lamp, that allowed miners to go down in, into the pits and have light mm -hmm. without... Without blowing themselves up. exploding themselves. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if they hit a pocket of gas. Now, did this save a lot of canaries' lives? It saved a lot of canaries' lives, and it saved an awful lot of miners' lives. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Mm. I didn't know how it worked. I assumed that you had some kind of sealed thing with a flame inside. Yeah, I guess. And then I was thinking, yeah. well, how does it get oxygen to burn? How does that work? No, it's not sealed. There's no glass. What? I know. 
Here's how it works.、Mm-hmm. You've got the flame inside the lamp,、yeah. and the lamp is surrounded by a fairly fine mesh. Right. And the flame can't get through the mesh. But what stops the gas getting into where the flame is? Also, the mesh. The gas does get in, and you can even watch the flame change colour. So if the, you hit a pocket of methane or whatever, the, the colour will change. Oh. But the flame can't escape through the tiny holes of the mesh. What? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I had no That's idea. That's not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. So if there were flammable gases, the lamp would burn higher and it would go blue.、Mm. They could even use the safety lamp to see: is there carbon dioxide here? Are there,、Ooh. you know, whatever? So it was an incredibly useful、yeah. tool, and it allowed miners to get out before either blowing up or dying of asphyxiation if there was CO2 there. Here's the thing, though. Absolutely classic fighting over this, right? Yeah. So there was a guy called George Stevenson、mm-hmm. who said, "Well, one year before, I presented to the Royal Society my safety lamp. Yeah. And 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 my safety lamp was the original safety lamp, and his was、uh, nutty, but kind of more perhaps、yeah. the sort of bonkersness that you'd expect. So his was enclosed、yeah. in glass. The one that was in my head, which had lots of tubes to stop things getting in. Exactly that. He had、uh, a water reservoir in the bottom. Yes. And that- you had little bellows that you had to. <laughs> Pump、yes. the air through the water, so it would bubble through the water and then burn in the lamp, and then it—you'd have to have the fumes bubbling through water at the top, and it was a really big. That sounds exactly like the best way of doing it. That sounds like the way I would have done、That's, it. Yes, tubes. Yes, all about the tubes. <laughs> have to have tubes, and、yeah. in the end, it had to. Get, there was a House of Commons committee in 1833、uh, saying,、uh, "Well, who's who can claim having invented the safety lamp?" And、uh, they found that Stevenson had equal claim. I mean, here's the thing: Davy had been given two thousand pounds worth of silver. What from public subscription for his invention? But he was furious、uh, and went to his、mm. grave angry about Stevenson,、yeah. saying he stole my idea. And is that the same Stevenson who invented the train, Stevenson's rocket? Good God! Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, I thought it was. And Davy was furious because he's like, one lamp. <laughs> he's、yeah. got the whole rail industry. <laughs> Just one lamp. That's all I wanted. So Stevenson's lamps still were used in the northeast of England, whereas everybody else、yeah. uh, used the Davy lamp. And、uh, Davy was furious about、mm. that. Here's the thing, though, right? Davy said, "Yeah, I had it. I had it first, and he or whatever." But four years earlier, in 1812, a guy called William Reed Clanny completed his first lamp, consisting of a candle in a glass surround, and that had the water reservoir and, and all the rest of it. Here's the thing. There we go. Yeah. Humphrey Davy invented his version of the lamp、mm-hmm. quite soon after a visit to Sunderland in August 1815.、Mm-hmm. Where he had seen one of Stevenson's lamps, and Stevenson had acknowledged a debt to Clanny's researches. Right. So, Davy being like, "Oh, it's mine, it's mine." Yes, but you are standing on the shoulders of Clanny and Stevenson. Well, was、mate. he though? Was he not just refusing to stand on their shoulders because、yes, theirs was rubbish? He went, "I'll tell you what, I'll build my own stepladder because your shoulders are a bit wonky." Are you in Team Stevenson or are you in Team Davy? I'm in Team Davy. Maybe we'll put a poll. Let's put a poll on.、Uh, If you do the Twitter thing, it's at date underscore fight, and you can vote、mm. Davinson, Davi, Davinson or Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, well, there's a nice Gilray cartoon of Davy 
pumping the bellows in some sort of experiment and making someone fart as he does it. So that's there is no funny cartoon like that about Stevenson. You can't, you can't argue with that. It's Gilray, probably, I think. If I can find that cartoon, I'll put that up on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Okay, what you got then? Um, I'm going to go back to the 9th of January, 1431, when the trial of Joan of Arc begins in Rouen. Oh, wow. Now, the French like to blame the English for killing Joan of Arc, but the thing is, the French captured Joan of Arc, the French sold Joan of Arc, the French tried Joan of Arc, the French found Joan of Arc guilty... They just let us burn her. That's a bit like the kind of outsourcing of uh, the slaughter of cattle to Romania, isn't it, nowadays? Absolutely. Except we don't tend to write ballads about how the Romanians are killing all our cattle. Uh, While she was captured, she tried to escape from the tower she was in, jumped 70 feet out of the tower she was in, um, hurt herself, got caught, came back. Uh, She didn't actually hate the English as much as she hated other heretics. At one point the year before, she'd offered to go on a crusade with the English against uh, other heretics so they could go on a crusade together, killing people who weren't proper Catholics, according to her. Anyway, when she was captured by the French, the Burgundians, the Duke of Bedford paid 10,000 livres for her. Um, He was annoyed because she'd been sending him nasty letters all year. (laughs) She'd been running around saying, uh, sending him notes that said things like, you'll be hearing from the Virgin and the meeting will cause you much pain. Oof. Yeah. And she said, I've been sent by the King of Heaven to kick you out of France. Wow. She was pretty feisty. She would have been great on Twitter, actually. Yeah, she would have loved Twitter. She would have been superb. Um, Anyway, she was charged by the French uh, judges who were trying her for heresy. She was charged with witchcraft, blasphemy, fighting on a Sunday and wearing men's clothes. Seriously? Mm, Those were the charges against her. Um... The one they got her on was wearing men's clothes. Oh, wow. Yeah. They'd originally tried to trick her. Uh, they asked her if, she, if she'd if she obtained the grace of God, which is a t- trick question often used by inquisitors. Because if you say, yes, you uh, believe that you have obtained the grace of God, then you are blaspheming because only God can know the mind of God. And if you say no, then you don't believe you're in the grace of God, so you believe you're sinning, so they can hang you either way. But she came up with a clever answer. She said, if not, I pray God puts me there. If so that he keeps me there. She then dropped the mic and sort of walked back. <laughs> anyway, she was got on the trouser thing because the Inquisitors told her, ah, oh, well, if you agree to put a dress on, then we'll send you to a religious prison, some sort of convent, and you won't have to, you know, be in a prison surrounded by English jailers anymore. So she agreed to that. Um, she put on a dress, they took her out in public, they made her sign something and said they would take her to this new jail but they didn't they sent her back to the original one with the original jailers who she was afraid of in her dress so again she tried to put trousers on at which point because you could only heresy was only a capital crime if it happened twice they said she'd twice offended god by putting trousers on and burnt her oh wow joan of arc done on a trouser-based technicality by the French. That is just... And with the help of the English. I mean, you know, we weren't... We would, you know, essentially bysta- horrible bystanders who did the burning in the end. Oh, it's not like we do that now, though. No, I mean, we'd always step in if we saw some sort of injustice of yeah, some yeah, sort. Yeah, 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 completely. Mm-hmm. That is an extraordinary story. I had no idea that's what happened to Joan of Arc. She's an interesting one. She's amazing. I wish she yeah. was here, Nat. <laughs> I don't, because I don't speak medieval French. Do not! No. We sometimes play no. trivial pursuit in medieval French. <laughs> Also, I imagine she was probably quite annoying. She did tend to have lots of visions and then tell everyone exactly what they should do. Yeah, she would have done a lot of hashtagging. Yeah. Don't at me, Joan of Arc. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'd like to see a Donald Trump meeting Joan of Arc. That, that would, would be good. A very angry yeah. girl. A lot French of issues. Girl. Maybe if she'd put a dress on, I would have spoken yeah. to her. <laughs> Twitter.com sure. slash Joan of Arc. Well, you'll like this. Uh, while you were chatting there, I sort of drifted mm-hmm. off attention-wise. Apologise for that. That's what I do. And no. <laughs> I had a look you. on Twitter, and uh, the at Joan of Arc account mm-hmm. has been suspended, which <laughs> doesn't altogether surprise me. Sort of feels fitting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's what she would have wanted. <laughs> Probably is, as well as the burning of everyone involved in making Twitter. Well, that was the 9th of January. Yes, and that was a really good one uh, to to end on, although horrific for Joan of Arc, of course. Yes. Ta-da! Uh, We will be back callously raking over the detritus of humanity tomorrow with another date fight for the 10th of January. That would make Mm. sense, I think. Let's do that one. Yeah, let's do the 10th. We hope you'll join. Shall we? Shall we? And we hope you'll join us too. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, I'm Alex von Tunzelman. And I'm Hannah Gregg. And we're here to tell you about the History Film Club. The History Film Club is a new podcast about history and films. And history in films. And films in history. Every week we'll talk to an expert. Like Stephen McGann, Amanda Vickery or Dan Snow. We'll find out their fictional favourites and historical hates. And whether they can prove to us they deserve membership of the History History Film Film Club. Club. The History Film Club is available from December the 28th wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now to make sure you never miss an episode.